we stand justified because of what Jesus Christ has done for us. If you have your Bibles there, take it. Turn with me to Daniel chapter number 5. Daniel chapter number 5. And let me just make a quick announcement. Uh, starting, well, it's supposed to be Monday, but what we're going to do is it's online, Faith Bible Institute. And this is something that our church has done now for several years. And a great program to help you to get into God's Word and to study that. And let me encourage you, if you are considering joining that, you can go to Faith Bible Institute, get some information about that. And this semester, it is going to be online with everything going on. So we will not be coming to the property and having those classes. But again, this is a great tool to help you to understand God's Word better. And for those of you that are signed up, uh, I do have the, the packets to the, the books, and I'll be getting those to you this week so that you'll be able to get started on that. If you have any questions, please do let me know and be able to answer any questions you might have about that. And again, for anybody considering this, let me just encourage you to, to really consider it. And again, if you have any questions, you can ask me. There's several people in the church that have already gone through this, and it is a three-year course. Uh, it sort of runs like what a regular school year would run. You have a, a fall semester, a spring semester, and again, you'll just dive into God's Word each and every week. Old Testament, New Testament doctrines class. Uh, the videos will take about two, two hours and 45 minutes a week, and then you'll have a little bit of homework each week to do with it and just a, a great tool to help you know God's Word a little bit better. Hey, this year is 2020. What a different year it has been. And I don't know if you know this, but this year there will be an election. I'm thankful for our country. I, I truly am thankful that every four years we have the freedom to go and to vote for a candidate to be the president, to be different government positions what a great freedom that is. But let me ask you this question. When we look at 2020 and this election coming up, what would you say is the, the biggest danger, the biggest threat, maybe the biggest cause of sort of the, the downturn of our country? What comes to your mind? I'm sure a lot of things come to people's minds. That you can turn on the news and you'll hear hours and hours of people talking about all these different ideas. What is the biggest issue facing people in this election? But today, as we get into God's Word, I, I want us to look at something. Because I believe the biggest problem, the biggest issue that we have in 2020 in America is not a new one. It's one that has been there. And in fact, in Romans chapter number 1, we see it mentioned. Verse number 21 says, Because that when they knew God, they glorified Him not as God, neither were thankful, but became vain in their imagination, and their foolish heart was darkened. Professing themselves to be wise, they became fools. What has happened throughout history is people turn away from God. They profess themselves to have this knowledge and to know this and, and that they, they don't need God. And they begin to try to solve a lot of symptoms. A lot of symptoms that we see here. In fact, in Romans chapter number 1, we won't take the time to read through it today, but if you go through there tonight and read through that, 
you will see a lot of things describing society in America in 2020. I mean, some of the, the traits that are talked about as they worship nature, homosexuality, uh, fornication, wickedness, covetousness, murder, haters of God, disobedient to parents, backbiters. It's describing society. And why did God say that would happen? When people turned their back on him. When people began to think that they could solve the problems on their own. And so as we vote, we look at these issues, but we must understand that these issues are not the root issue. Because the root issue, the root problem in our country is that we have turned our back on God. And before we just generalize this and say, yes, that's the problem with our country. You know what my root problem is? When pride lifts up in my heart and I say, I can do this on my own. I would never audibly say, I don't need God. I wouldn't say that. But I'm afraid too many times I live like that where I go about my day, where I try to solve all of my problems, where I don't look to Him and I focus on me. And what we're going to see in Daniel chapter number 5, and really we're going to look at Daniel 4 and 5 today, but focusing on Daniel chapter number 5, is a time where a man who was a great ruler thought he could do everything on his own. Let's go ahead and jump into God's Word. Hopefully you have your Bibles there in Daniel chapter number 5. We're going to read here verse number 1. It says, Belshazzar, the king, made a great feast to a thousand of his lords and drank wine before the thousand. Belshazzar, while he tasted the wine, commanded to bring the golden and silver vessels which his father Nebuchadnezzar had taken out of the temple, which was in Jerusalem, that the king and his princess, his wives, and his concubines might drink therein. Then they brought the golden vessels that were taken out of the temple, the house of God, which was at Jerusalem. And the king and his princes, his wives and his concubines drank in them. They drank wine and praised the gods of gold and of silver, of brass, of iron, of wood and of stone. They praised these gods. They had a party, a huge party. Now, this is not something unusual at all for a king to have a party. But you know what the issue is here is the timing of this party. Because history tells us that the timing of this party is after the Babylonians have been defeated. And they have gone into the city of Babylon. They have shut up the walls. And outside of the city walls are the armies of the Medes and the Persians. And they are there and they are outside the walls ready to attack. Now, for me, this would not be a time of celebration. This would not be a time to, to be happy. But there, Belshazzar is just having a big party. Like he has no concerns in the world about this. Like everything is okay. And why is this going on? You know, the first point we're going to look at today is God can use any means necessary to humble those who disregard him. God can use anything. You know, Babylon is an amazing empire. It has conquered so much of the world. Nebuchadnezzar, the leader, unbelievable what he had done. And, and even when you read Daniel chapter number 2, we see Nebuchadnezzar has this dream 
Remember, Daniel is brought forth and Daniel tells him what the dream is. And this is this huge statue and really it's a, a, a picture of the different kingdoms that would rule over the world in history. And remember which one was on top? Made of gold? It was Babylon. Babylon. This is really the first world superpower that has come in and conquered so much of the world. This is who we are talking about. Nebuchadnezzar, this great king, he has built this city. Uh, the historian Herodotus tells us of this city and says that there were 350 foot tall walls, 56 miles in length. On these walls, six chariots could ride atop side by side. They had even thought about a siege and about somebody attacking so that at spots, at most spots, they, it is said that it went 35 feet underground so to make sure nobody could try to tunnel into the city. They were surrounded by a moat. They had made sure that all of their gates were made of brass. They had stockpiled food to withstand a siege for years. And in fact, it thought about that to make sure that inside the walls, they would be able to grow food. And as far as water, the Euphrates River ran right through the city. So why are they having a party in Daniel chapter number five? When we would look at the situation and say, they're in trouble. Why are they having a party? Because they look at it like they cannot be defeated. Yeah, they, they've beaten us back here, but there's no way they take Babylon. You know, soon enough, they'll give up, they'll go home. We can wait them out. And so as Belshazzar gathers all of the leaders together, they're not concerned because they look at themselves as there is no way that they can fall. They were trusting in their walls and everything they had there. Belshazzar knew about what happened in Daniel chapter number four. Nebuchadnezzar, the great king, he had risen to power and had built this great city. But there was a problem. He was lifted up with pride. And Daniel comes in and tells him another dream. This time, though, the, the interpretation of the dream was not good at all. And here's what it was. That in a matter of time, Nebuchadnezzar would basically go crazy, be cast out of the kingdom and act like an animal, but later would be restored. You, you read Daniel chapter number four, and it's almost like maybe Nebuchadnezzar hears this. And, and by the way, Daniel chapter number four, Nebuchadnezzar writes this. It's from his perspective. And it almost sounds as if he's trying to change, but in Daniel chapter 4, verse number 30, we see him, and I picture him standing and looking out at this great city. And look at what he says. The king spake and said, Is not this great Babylon, look at what he says, that I have built, for the house of the kingdom by the might of my power and for the honor of my majesty. And you know what happens within the hour? He's driven out of the kingdom to be with the animals. This is the most powerful man in the world. A ruthless man. You look at even how he conquered Judah and what he did there and just throughout history how he would keep power. But he loses everything and is cast out 
Why? Because of pride. Because of pride. Pride is something that nations battle, and it's something that I battle. It's so easy to be lifted up in pride. So how do we apply this? The application here is to humble yourself and show God the reverence he deserves. Humble myself. What is pride? Pride is saying, I am, I'm important. I'm more important than anything else going on here. That should not be the case. We must humble ourselves. Peter, remember Peter? Peter's that guy that when you read the Gospels, if there's a guy in the Gospels that maybe struggles a little bit with pride, I would maybe put Peter there. In fact, he's one of the guys that's arguing, it seems like, several times about who's going to be the greatest in the kingdom. But to the letter that Peter writes in 1 Peter chapter 5, verse number 5, it says, Likewise, ye younger, submit yourselves unto the elder. Yea, all of you be subject one to another, and be clothed, look at what it says, with humility. For God resisteth the proud, and giveth grace to the humble, clothed with humility. Humble yourselves, therefore, into the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you in due time. You know, Peter is no longer worried about lifting himself up. His greatest concern is no longer, Jesus, will I sit on your right hand? Will I be the greatest in the kingdom? That no longer seems to be his great concern. He is saying, I've had to learn that I will humble myself and God will take care of the rest. James said it this way in James 4, verse 10. It says, humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord, and He shall lift you up. You know why I, I struggle with being humble? is because I don't have the right view of myself. That's why I do. Because I begin to think of myself as better than what I am. And I begin to look at people that I'm better than, I believe, in certain areas. And that's why I begin to lift up in pride. But I need to understand something. We all need to understand. Do you understand? God loves every single person just the exact same as he loves me. Every single person. I'm not earning more of God's love. And nothing I do should fill me up with pride because everything I do is because of him is because of what he has done. See, the gospel liberates me from having to work to earn God's approval because he loves me. Now, I still want to serve him, and, and the desire of our heart should be to serve him with everything we have. But the desire to serve him is not to earn his love. The desire to serve him is because we love him. There's a big difference between that. And when we get that desire wrong, that's when we worry about pride. That's when it comes in. Because now I'm feeling like I've got to earn God's love more than this guy over here. Or more than this person over here. And it happens with our relationship with God. It happens with our relationship with other people. Because I've got to make sure that I look better to my boss than this person over here. And it can consume my life when I, <laughs> I've just got to humble myself. How do I do that? Remember who God is. 
and remember who I am. When I get that, everything will be okay. In fact, let me read you this quote. We will not elevate ourselves at the expense of others if we see more accurately our own position before God. We will not elevate ourselves at the expense of others if we see more accurately our own position before God. I, I am not an artist at all. I, I, I can't draw. And if I were to come and I were to draw, let's say paint a picture, and maybe I work really hard at it, do a really good job, and I show it to you, and you may look at it, well, that, 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 that's pretty good. But then a professional painter comes in. And you know what? It no longer looks right. Because I realize that what I have done is nothing compared to what he has done. When I realize what I have done is nothing compared to what God has already done, it will help me as I battle pride. Secondly, we'll see here, God uses people to share his truth with the lost world. So a big party's going on. Verse number five, in the same hour came forth fingers of a man's hand and wrote over against the candlestick upon the plaster of the wall of the king's palace, and the king saw the part of the hand that wrote. Then the king's countenance was changed, and his thoughts troubled him, so that the joints of his loins were loosed, and his knees smote one against another. You know, in junior church today, this is what the kids went over, and on the way home from church, uh, we were talking a little bit about it, one of my children's, was, I was asking a question about what event would you want to see if you could see something that had happened in the Bible times? I, I thought, I, I, I didn't know, I just thought maybe just seeing Jesus would be good. And this is what they said they'd want to see is the hand coming writing on the wall. And I'm like, well, that, that would have been pretty cool to see. Can you imagine Belshazzar as they're having this huge feast and a hand begins to write? <laughs> it, it describes it in verse number six. What does that mean? He's scared more than he's ever been scared before. His knees are knocking against his, his knees. I mean, he is, he is terrified. And I would have been too. Verse number seven. The king cried aloud to bring in the astrologers, the Chaldeans, the soothsayers. And the king spake and said to the wise men of Babylon, Whosoever shall read this writing and show me the interpretation thereof shall be clothed with scarlet and have a chain of gold about his neck and shall be the third ruler in the kingdom. Then came in all the king's wise men, but they could not read the writing nor make known to the king the interpretation thereof. Then was King Belshazzar greatly troubled, and his countenance was changed in him, and the, his lords were astonished. What is this? He's no longer partying. He's no longer concerned about the party. Something else is going on here. And he wants to find out what it is. So he says, if you can tell me what it is, you will be third in command in the kingdom. That's interesting. Why third in command? You know, history tells us about Babylon, and Nebuchadnezzar reigned for 43 years. Six years after his death, there were three people that had come to the throne. His son had come, but he had been killed but in two years by brother-in-law. Another son, his son had come and had been killed by a, a man who later married Nebuchadnezzar's daughter. And this man, Nebuchadnezzar, is the man that history says was ruling over Babylon when it was destroyed by the Medes and the Persians. Seems to be a bit of a problem, though, because what we just read there is Belshazzar's the guy in control. 
This is the beauty of it. Because, in fact, for many years, this was used as a sign of what was wrong with the Bible. Because it was said, well, how? We, we see no mention of Belshazzar. So clearly the Bible has been made up, and this is a story that is not true. It wasn't until 1887 that they were able to find something that gave them some information that said that, you know, Nebuchadnezzar was king for 17 years. But for 10 of those 17 years, he basically left Babylon, went to a different location, and he left in charge his son, Belshazzar. His son, who other documents later found, was there when Babylon was overthrown. So God's word had it right before archaeology ever got it. Belshazzar. That's why he says, I'll make you third in command. Because Nebuchadnezzar was number one. Belshazzar was sort of a co-regent, second. And whoever could help him out... He's going to put him right underneath there. But <laughs> nobody can tell him the dream. Sort of seems like what's happened in Nebuchadnezzar before. Verse number 10. Now the queen, by reason of the words of the king and his lords, came into the banquet house. And the queen spake and said, O king, live forever. Let not thy thoughts trouble thee, nor let thy countenance be changed. And, and this is more, his mom. His mom comes in there and says, there's no need to be scared. And I, can you imagine Belshazzar? Yeah, mom, you didn't just see the hand right there. We have every reason to be scared. There is a man in thy kingdom in whom is the spirit of the holy gods. And in the days of thy father, light and understanding and wisdom, like the wisdom of the gods was found in him. Whom the king Nebuchadnezzar, thy father, the king, I say thy father, made master of the magicians, astrologers, Chaldeans, and soothsayers. For as much as an excellent spirit and knowledge and understanding, interpreting of dreams, and showing of hard sentences and dissolving of doubts were found in the same Daniel, whom the king named Belteshazzar. Now let Daniel be called, and he will show the interpretation. Nebuchadnezzar has died. Daniel, who had risen to great prominence, it seems like has lost his position. So much so that when they're trying, I mean, you would think if somebody's trying to interpret something, Daniel will be the first one they call. But nobody's called him. And so in walks in his mom and says, there's a guy called Daniel. He'll be able to help you out. So what does he do? He quickly calls him in. And Daniel by this time would have been maybe about 80 years old. And he wants to hear from Daniel. Uh, Verse 13, Then was Daniel brought in before the king, and the king spake and said to Daniel, Art thou that Daniel, which are the children of the captivity of Judah, whom the king my father brought out of Jewry? (laughs) It's interesting that here he is going to ask a favor, but it almost seems like he's coming with an insult first, reminding him, Hey, you're you're, you're captive. (laughs) We brought you here. I have even heard of thee that the spirit of the gods is in thee, and that light and understanding and excellent wisdom is found in thee. And now the wise men, the astrologers, have been brought in before me that they should read this writing and make known unto me the interpretation thereof. But they could not show the interpretation of the thing. And I have heard of thee that thou canst make interpretation and dissolve doubts. Now if thou canst read the writing and make known to me the interpretation thereof, thou shalt be clothed with scarlet and have a chain of gold about thy neck and shalt be third ruler in the kingdom. He brings him in to ask him for his help. And why is it that they're calling Daniel there? 
because of his testimony. In fact, when Belshazzar's mom talks about him, says, here's, here's, this is a good guy. He can help you out. How do I apply this? To live in such a godly way that people seek you out for answers they cannot find. You know, we as Christians need to live our lives so that when people are going through those difficult times, we can be there to help. They, they want to come with those questions. They want to come. Because for why will they want to come? I, I promise they will never want to come until we know that we love them. We need to make sure that people know that we care about them. Your neighbors, do your neighbors know that you care about them? Think about your coworkers. They should know that we care about them. They knew that about Daniel and they call him in there. And then lastly today, the sovereign God humbles the proud. We go to verse number 17. Then Daniel answered and said before the king, Let thy gifts be to thyself, and give thy rewards to another. <laughs> Daniel says, I'm not going to do this for what I can get out of it. You can keep all those things, but I will tell you what the writing is there. It wasn't that they couldn't understand the writing, or they couldn't read it. It was the fact they didn't understand what it meant. And so Daniel begins to speak. Yet I will read the writing of the king and make known to him the interpretation. O thou king, the most high God gave Nebuchadnezzar, thy father, a kingdom and majesty and glory and honor. I, that's one of my favorite verses in this chapter. Just for that first part, look at what it says. The most high God gave Nebuchadnezzar. Can I say that as this election comes up, no matter who wins the presidency, God is in control. No matter what is going on, the Most High God is in control of this world. Nebuchadnezzar is not a person that anybody would want to be a ruler. But Daniel says God is the one that has placed him there. And for the majesty that he gave him, all people, nations, and languages trembled and feared before him, whom he would he slew, and whom he would he kept alive, and whom he would he set up, and whom he would he put down. Nebuchadnezzar did whatever he wanted to do. But when his heart was lifted up and his mind hardened in pride, he was deposed from his kingly throne, and they took his glory from him. And he was driven from the sons of men. And his heart was made like the beast, and his dwelling was with the wild asses. They fed him with grass like oxen. And his body was wet with the dew of heaven, till he knew that the Most High God ruled in the kingdom of men, and that he appointeth over it whomsoever he will. Nebuchadnezzar didn't get it yet. We talked about Daniel chapter number 4, but you look back and you see the things that have happened. How did he not get it? I mean, this, this is Nebuchadnezzar, right? He has thrown Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego into a fiery furnace to see them killed and looked into the furnace and saw four men in the furnace and saw that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, nothing had happened to them. What was their crime? They didn't bow down before a huge statue of who? Of him. This was a man that struggled with pride all the way through. And God said, I had put him there, but he still didn't get it. So what had to happen? I removed him from power until what? 
until he finally, till he knew, verse 21, that the Most High God ruled in the kingdom of men, and that he appointeth over it whomsoever he will. You know, Nebuchadnezzar thought that it was all about verse 19, that he was doing whatever he wanted. He was choosing this. He was doing this. But God was there to remind him that he was God. Nebuchadnezzar was not in charge. God is in control. And can I say, let's take great comfort in that, that God's in control. But it also was a challenge to us. Because here's what I'm bad at. Yeah, God's in control. I trust God fully. And no matter who is president, God is in control. No matter what's going on in our country, God is in control. But when it comes to my own life, I like to take control. I like to figure it out on my own. I like to do what I want to do. And it's almost like we say, well, God's in control of the big things, but the little things, I, I'll take care of. Understand, in life, there are no little things. I need God for everything. I've said before, I think one of the things that this year has taught us is just how much we need God. Because we go through... We, Let's just be honest. We've all got into this sort of just schedule. We know what we're going to do. Every, sort of, every day is sort of planned out. We, we are trusting in this. We're trusting in that. We've got plans for the future. And then this year happened. It's like God is trying to tell us. I'm in control. Listen, you have plans. And by the way, I think we should plan, but we need to understand that God has to be the one in control of our plans. But God just sort of sent us a message saying, don't forget, I'm the one that's in control. Can I say the message he sent is sort of <laughs> different, but to me it's like a wake-up call that he sent to Nebuchadnezzar back there in Daniel chapter 4. He put him through a tough time for a period of a few years to raise him back up. And what we need to learn as we go through this is that God is in control. No matter what is going on in this world, in my life, He is still in control. Verse number 24. Or verse number 22, I'm sorry. And thou his son, O Belshazzar, hast not humbled thine heart, though thou knewest all this. By the way, we look at Belshazzar and we say, he, he knew what happened to Nebuchadnezzar? Why didn't he change? We have 66 books of God's word here. We know much more about God than Belshazzar did. And I'm afraid I still fall into the exact same trap that he does. Verse 23, but hast lifted up thyself against the Lord of heaven, and they have brought the vessels of his house before thee. And now, and thy lords, thy wives, and thy concubines have drunk wine in them, and thou hast praised the gods of silver and gold, of brass, iron, wood, and stone, which see not, nor hear, nor know. And the God in whose hand thy breath is, and whose are all thy ways, hast thou not glorified. It's easy to read verse number 23 and sort of brush that off as, hey, this guy, man, here he is worshiping idols and not make it personal. Understand, when I read the Bible, I need to look for the application to my life because here's what I do in my life. I don't bow down to an idol, but I have different things that I worship, that I put my trust in above God. If I'm putting in my, my trust in my job above God, then I, I, I'm missing it. 
if I'm putting my trust in my retirement fund, in whatever it is that we can put our trust in above God, we're missing it and we are making that the thing that is our source of pride. What we're looking to. Then was the part of the hand sent from him, and this writing was written. And this is the writing that was written. Mene, mene, tekel, aparsim. This is the interpretation of the thing. Mene, God hath numbered thy kingdom and finished it. Tekel, thou art weighed in the balances and art found wanting. Perez, thy kingdom is divided and given to the Medes and Persians. What is the message? The message is this. You're trusting in your walled cities. You're trusting in this great building this great defense that you have, but it will not help you. Tonight, it will all be taken from you. Tonight, it will all be destroyed. The Greek historian Herodotus says that that night, Cyrus' army diverted the Euphrates River until it was low enough that they could go under the gates and not have to scale those walls. Remember one of the things they were trusting in? They were trusting in the river itself. That that river would make sure that they could grow their crops, and no matter what they did outside there, they would still be able to provide for their families, for their needs, from that river. And that very thing they were trusting was used to defeat them. Verse 29, Then commanded Belshazzar, and they clothed Daniel with scarlet, and put a chain of gold about his neck, and made a proclamation concerning him that he should be the third ruler in the kingdom. In that night was Belshazzar the king of the Chaldeans slain, and Darius the Median took the kingdom, being about threescore and two years old. <laughs> Daniel rises to third in the kingdom for a matter of hours. No wonder he's like, I, 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 it doesn't matter to me if you give me anything, because it didn't really mean anything. The king kept his word, but loses his life this night. And it all comes back to pride. How do I apply this? I need to humbly walk with God and warn others that God rules the kingdom of men. So now, let's just make it personal. How do I apply this in my life? How do you handle pride? One of the great verses that I have found in the Bible that has helped me here is Psalm chapter 8, verse number 3 says, When I consider thy heaven, the works of thy fingers, the moon and the stars which thou hast ordained, what is man that thou art mindful of him, and the son of man that thou visitest him? What am I that God would save me? You know, in of myself, there's nothing good. God didn't save me because of what I can do for Him. He saved me because He loved me. <laughs> this week, we, we, God blessed us with another child, little Austin. You know, we didn't have another child with the idea of, if we have a fourth child, maybe this one will be able to help us with our retirement fund. Maybe this one will be able to mow the yard when they're old enough. That, that wasn't, we, we didn't have a child based on what can that child do for us. God gave us that child. You know what we want to show? The love of God to him. Listen, God didn't save us based on what we can do for him. Because God doesn't need us. 
Now remember when Jesus is coming into Jerusalem, uh, the triumphal entry, the Pharisees run over there and they say, hey, tell them to stop worshiping you. Remember what he cry, says? If I stopped them, the rocks would cry out. You know what Jesus said? I can get anybody to do this. He loves us, though. And so my source of pride is not me because there's nothing I can do. My source of pride is just my love for him, is to focus on him. Because when pride comes into my heart, you know what I'm beginning to say? I'm the one in control. I'm the one in charge here. That's what happened with Nebuchadnezzar. That's what happened with Belshazzar. And that's what happens in my life. But what I need to realize is that God is the one that's over everything. And I need to just go to him humbly. Because remember, he resisted the proud. He wants nothing to do with that. Basically, it's like, you say you can do this on your own, go ahead and try. Go ahead and try. But when we come to him and say, God, I need your help. That's what he wants. That humble spirit that we have. How do I stay humble? Realize who I am and who he is. Because when I have the proper perspective of myself and the proper perspective of God, it will change everything. Dear God, I thank you for today. I thank you for your word. God, I pray that you would help each and every one of us. Help me as this battle of pride is something that rages in each and every one of us. And I pray you would help us to look to you and to trust you. God, you've been so good to each and every one of us. You're in control of all things. You reminded Nebuchadnezzar of that. You reminded Belshazzar of that. And tonight, I, I pray you just remind us that you're in control. We'll look to you, not look to ourselves, but trust in you. God, we love you. We thank you for everything you do. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Again, thank you guys so much for being a part of this service tonight. Wednesday night, we will have service online again. Encourage you, if you're able to, join us right here online on YouTube. Be a part of that service. Uh, teens, Thursday night, we'll be back here for youth group. And then, guys, Saturday, we will have our men's prayer time. Do be in prayer for, uh, for those of our church family. We want to pray for each other, lift each other's names up to God, and just, just take the burdens that people have. As a pastor has mentioned, we want to pray for the Glev family right now and uh, some of the different things that they are going through there. Uh, just, just be in prayer for them and any others that you know. If there's something specifically that we can pray for you about, please let us know so that we can pray for you about that. We hope you guys have a great day and look forward to praising God together again on Wednesday.